0: Real Fun D.C. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hello and welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on a deep dive into the happenings of the hospitality industry. Now, sometimes there's a focus on culture, sometimes there's a focus on travel trends, and sometimes there's a focus on a passion project, but it all comes back to the industry. Now, years ago, I was asked to be interviewed about the DC dining scene at a fundraising event. It was a really high-end thing. And I was a little entertainment before the big money ask. Now, I was delighted. Uh, a very well-known female news anchor was the host and interviewer. And as I started chatting about all the exciting restaurants and concepts and cuisines that were populating the dining scene, this person kept commenting on my size and my weight um it was weird comments were like oh right look at her as if she eats out or come on nikki you don't really eat all that i mean look at you it really didn't matter what i said she always went back what I look like. And at that time, I was just shocked and maintained my composure and sort of laughed off her comments. But to this day, I really don't know what her point was. I mean, was it to shame me? Or maybe it had to do with her and not me. But regardless, it was inappropriate. Um, She didn't know my food story. And she really wasn't asking. And our relationship with food is an ever evolving journey. And to that point, I'm so excited to dig down deep with today's guest, Elise, uh, I'm going to pronounce your name. Elise Muselis. Elise Muselis is a certified eating psychology expert and health coach and author of a new book, Food Story. Rewriting the Way You Eat, Think, and Live. And I love the book and she joined us on Foodie and the Beast and now she's joining us today to dig down deep on our food story. So hey Elise, how are you?
1: Hi Nikki, so great to see you again and
0: be with you. Absolutely. So let's back up with you a little bit because years ago pre-pandemic you were on Foodie and the Beast and you were you were writing about food. You were talking about food, but you were really coming at it from a different way. What happened for you?
1: Um, well, first, I want to just address what you said. That mm-hmm. whole, um, it, because it really there are so many layers to it. Mm. And it, you know, you asked, was it about you? Was it you know, you you bring up a really good point. A lot of people think that they don't. And like it's not always what it appears on the outside is what I'm trying to say. You can't tell somebody's food story just by looking at them, and we all, you know, we make judgments about people and the way that they relate to food or how much they eat or don't eat based on appearance. And you can, and that's just completely wrong. And so I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I probably want to say to you that it was her and pro and culture mixed in too. You know, the messages that we get about you know, ha- w- the way you should look or eat, not eat and all of that. Well, so if that-
0: I could just go back to that for a second, I will tell you that the event was a women's health event and there were women in the audience. These were cancer survivors. So mm. it was even more inappropriate yeah. to the context like it was a uh, a celebratory fundraiser for women who suffered from ovarian cancer or gotten through ovarian cancer. So there were survivors in the audience and I just thought I mean it was wholly inappropriate because right. we were supposed to be celebrating food and um I, she just couldn't let it go. She was like a dog with a bone. <laughs> it was yeah. and she doesn't know my food history. I mean what if I was anorexic when I was younger? I mean what if she was triggering me? Do you know what I mean? She she really had no idea i mean i wasn't and i she was she wasn't triggering me and i wasn't but to your point she she didn't care do you know what i mean and there is a yeah. lot of layers to it but anyway mm-hmm. let's get to you and talk about
1: how you got to here okay so you know our when we ask people or when you think about your relationship with food it's complicated, right? And most of the time, when I was working with clients and and having these conversations, I say, "Tell me about your relationship with food." And I get very similar responses, like I just said, "It's complicated," or "Oh no, don't go there." And most people would think about them and food and how they related to food, and it was almost like a static thing. It wasn't evolving, and there weren't other factors that went into it. So I knew I had to ask about it and think about it in a different context. So at that time. You know, there was a lot about story, love story, money story. There's so many, I'm sure you've covered, you know, in your shows, so many different types of stories that we have. And so I'm like, we have all these stories. Of course, we have a food story. And when I could put it in the context of a story, like, you know, that we get, it's all our messages, our memories, all the meals over a lifetime. And we have different chapters. We have characters. We have villains, heroes, you know, diet culture, anti-diet culture. It's so dynamic. Mm-hmm. And when I started to pose the same question as my clients, tell me about your food story, they'd say, I never thought about it as a food story. And then it it lifted a lot of the shame and the blame and the guilt because it wasn't just them and food. They realized that there were so many different factors that went into the way that they related to food. So mm-hmm. that's part of why I use the term food story, I think, because we all we we have this sense of, you know, like these we make these moral judgments about ourselves whether we've been good and i'm putting that in quotes or bad and you know we we think things are our fault or we just feel bad and so you know this lifted that and it's been really helpful for people to to step back and see what goes into how we connect with food how we relate to food and so that's where the concept of food story evolved and then like you have a podcast and and that For me, that has been more about like normalizing talking about our relationship with food and sharing stories so that people feel less alone. You know, because there there's a lot of there's a lot of celebration with food, but there's also a lot of pain with food. But I think you brought up a, a really good point. People categorize
0: food as good and bad. I've been good today. I've been bad today. People categorize it in a way that I mean it's it's inanimate it's it (laughs) I I, going back to money story food story I can put food in the same concept as money money doesn't care who spends it and food doesn't care who utilizes it like food is just food but we have given it a lot of power um and we can call it bad we can call it good we can call it all these different things but at the end of the day it's really us it's just a little bit of a mirror don't you think
1: Mm-hmm. And it does, it is very powerful, because food can be healing, you know, it could nourish your soul, it can connect you, but it doesn't have a moral value, like you're saying, you mm-hmm. know, but it is, I do think food is really powerful. You know, Well,
0: that- it's such a part of our lives. I mean, we use it, we... It's a celebration when you have a baby. It's a celebration when you have a wedding. It's there for the death. I mean, it's there at, at every facet and it's a part of your day. We need it for nutrition, which sometimes gets lost in the value of food. So how do you, you take on a client and as you were putting this book together, so a person comes to you, they tell you their food story and how do you help them take away or or learn from their past to create their present?
1: Mm, That's a really good question. So we have these beliefs around food and sometimes we don't even realize that they're affecting our thoughts and our choices. And I bring in thoughts because so much of our relationship and the way we relate to food exists in our own mind. It's not even just about what you're eating, it's how you're thinking too. And so I really have, you know, it's hard to unravel a lifetime worth of messages and meals and memories. So I do start with what are some of your themes, you know, just to get people thinking about, and this is chapter two in my book, you know, there's some very disempowering stories and themes that, that we tell ourselves, like, you know, there's a theme, there's guilt. I mean, I'm sure you, it's hard not to, right? Right. There's guilt. And then there's like some people have like a story about later, like I'm too busy. I can't deal with this. I'm raising kids or whatever. I'll take care of myself later you know instead of and put it off or uh, another really common theme is like the story of overwhelm or confusion I'm going to lump those together because you're so inundated with messages all the time and Mm -hmm. then experts who everybody has a you know science-backed way of eating that's going to be like the next best thing or is the next best thing and it's hard to not feel you know like, persuaded by all of that. And so then you listen to you read one day about something, you know, how healthy it is. And then another day about studies that show that it could be harmful because of toxins or whatever, I'm just making that up. Right. And then, of course, that leads to confusion. And sometimes, like, the more you know, the more confused you become. So I, I just really identifying what are some of the most pervasive themes for you. And then also the beliefs, and those go way back, you know, um, like, I grew up, thinking that fat was evil. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what it was when you were growing up, but you know, that fat on your, Oh yeah. Well
0: then everything was like low fat cookies, low fat this, like in Snacles. the you know, In the 80s. Right. So everything was low fat and I will never forget probably like in the, in the aughts. Uh, Cause it was after my daughter was born and like, that's when Atkins was coming big. And it was like yeah. the first, it was like, no, 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 you're supposed to eat fat. And I was like, this goes against everything I'd ever heard about eating well. And then it was like, no, you're just supposed to eat, you know, protein and high fat and not eat carbs. Like it was everything is so all or nothing.
1: Right. And then and then even if you like have gone beyond it, like you can't somewhere in your mind, sort of that always exists. For example, I've had a lot of clients who are scared of bananas. You know, because bananas weren't <laughs> allowed like on calorie or whatever they carbs, are. sugar, right. whatever, you know, but I mean it doesn't tell the whole story, which that's a whole a different conversation. But bananas or carrots even, you know, that they're a higher sugar vegetable sure. or grapes. I remember some a client who was on like South Beach. Remember that diet in the 90s. Yes and And she still had like those labels around these healthy foods, but anyway, so we have these limiting beliefs sometimes they could go way far back like if you grew up in a household where your parents asked you to clean your plate and mm-hmm. even though like it was really well intentioned, probably a lot of them grew up where they you know maybe we're even coming from over, like the Holocaust or whatever, you know, like, or right. just different circumstances where like, you know, you eat your food, all of your food and you don't waste it. And I mean, I'm not about food waste at all either, but there are leftovers. But anyway, my husband, for example, is told to clean his plate all and he still feels guilty when he does it. You know, it's just like, that's the way it is. So these I'm like, well, you don't, you can actually not finish it and have it tomorrow. And so you won't be wasting it, but you also won't be going past your, you know, point of comfortable fullness. So, I mean, and then there's really deep limiting beliefs too. So I really, I work with people on like what they're thinking and then something else that's really a powerful way to look into your food story is if you have um, some kind of an issue, like an unwanted health or eating challenge that you're, you know, that you've dealt with a part of your life, for example, you know, overeating or even binge eating or, you know, I ask people to think about when it started, because oftentimes it's not really about the food, but Mm -hmm. it might've been when you were moving or, you know, when your parents went through a divorce. And so there's like this un- resolved like trauma or you know experiences around it and it's not really about the food and it it gives people a huge wake-up call when they realize wait this is how and then they feel like I talked about before less shameful Uh and you can go back to that place and you know work through feelings that are still in your body Um, I'm not a psychiatrist, you know, but there's all sorts of practices. I had somebody on my podcast talking about how shaking, you know, when you actually like dance and shake that, and it helps release what's stored up and pent up. Interesting.
0: I mean, that makes um, a lot of sense because that's why exercise can be so good for you, right? Mm -hmm. You body getting the heart moving and it increases your endorphins.
1: It makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, So that all must go hand in hand, right? Of course. Well, you want to do things that make you feel good and reconnect you back to your body. Because oftentimes what's happened is if you've been listening to what I call the food noise, which mm-hmm. is just all the messages that you receive, you know, to this day and over your lifetime, if you've been listening to f- food noise and who, I mean, it's a fact of life. We hear it and we can talk about how to deal with it. But if you've been listening to the food noise, then that re- that disconnects you from your body.
0: It right. disconnects
1: you from like really being connected to what's right for you and so when you do things that reconnect to your body to your point exercise you know yoga was that for me it was so amazing how being on my mat was like this big way to like actually feel what what's good to me you know and not and not what someone else is saying I should do
0: right no, I think that's an excellent point. And so, but you bring up a good point about reconnecting with our bodies. When when you say that, what does that mean for people who struggle with food? Like not to go back to your one uh client who, you know, won't eat bananas or won't eat grapes. Like, how do you break that down and 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 retrain? people's brains to be like, grapes are fine. You're okay. You can have some great, you know, how do you retrain people who, cause listen, I'm sure you get a bunch of the same emails and Instagram posts and things like that, that I see like every day, there's a new antioxidant wonder fruit or some supplement that you absolutely have to take. And it's, it's always going to make you, you know, healthier and live longer and look better. I mean, you know, the, the, um, the sales pitches are always large of all the things you know that that these uh supplements or whatever can do so how do you work with that
1: those are all really good questions so the first thing is that um when you were started asking me about this i was thinking about there's this one question that you can ask yourself all the time and is is this true for me now Hmm. right because just because you always believe something doesn't mean it's true for you at this moment so Constantly asking yourself, "Is this true for me now?" but to, to your other point about all the messages that we receive that are so compelling I mean who doesn't want to look younger or feel younger mm-hmm. or whatever these you know they know are our, our soft spot, spots um, is is that um, the, all, the, all those messages are great, and I think it's okay to be curious, you know but our bodies are sending us signals all day long. And what we tend to do is ignore them. But you know that feeling where you get like in your gut, you know, that gut feeling. I mean, how many times have you said, I should have listened to my gut? I mean, that's happened to me. I can't even count the amount of time. Right. But, but if we can start tuning into those messages and, and pay more attention to what our bodies are saying to us, and get reconnected to what that sounds like, what it feels like, you know, the kind of the shoulders get tense when it's a no. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when people are in like making a decision, I'll say to like a client, I'll say, okay, let's pretend you're gonna say yes. Okay, so you're in your head, you're like, yes, I'm gonna do this, how does that feel? And then if you feel like excited and wow, this is cool, I can't wait for this, you know, opportunity, diet, whatever. I am mean, not diet, but like right. you know, new food. And then let's try the other thing. How does it feel if you say, no, I'm not going to do this. And you're like, I feel liberated. I feel free. You know, like, haven't you ever had to make a decision where once you made the decision, it's better. So it's really, you know, listening to your body, getting reacquainted with what your signals are. And then the other thing about all those messages we receive, I'm not anti, like, I don't think you should have one way of doing thing and never deviate and not explore and experiment because Mm -hmm. as human beings we're always evolving like by the minute we're evolving and being curious is a good thing you know trying new things but understanding your why and not thinking of it as like this is the gospel and if if I don't follow through with it or if I don't like it then I'm a failure like just taking that sort of of conversation away. So I'm going to try it. And if it works for me and feels good, great. And if it doesn't, I was open-minded and it's not for me.
0: Well, I think that's uh you know, it's so healthy, obviously, given what you do to be that way. And it's, it's, it is hard. I do think we get stuck in our ways, whether it's don't eat bananas or, you know, <laughs> low carb, high fat or the reverse or keto, like th- there's all these messages, um, out there and it is, it can be overwhelming and it can, you, it, I think you do have to listen to yourself and you have to, I like the idea of listening to yourself, but sometimes we don't trust ourselves. Sometimes we're like, but I said yes to the cookie. Was that a good idea? Probably, <laughs> you know, like. Where do you stand on that kind of stuff? How do you help people sort of get over their
1: guilt around food? Ooh, guilt is such a huge thing. Mm-hmm. So, I always feel like everything we do, you know, is a lesson, right? There's it's always like our, there's something we can learn from it. So, okay, if you you had the the cookie and if you loved it and it felt good, then can you get to a place where you can have a cookie, you know, and move on and know that one cookie, isn't going to be like, the end, know, the, world, right? like yeah, the end of the world, right? Like the end of the world and make a huge difference. Or if you had the cookie and like, you know, that those ingredients don't agree with you or one cookie, you know, that like it, um, you know, that it like in your head, the conversation just keeps going and going. Like if or, or in your body, you don't feel good, then maybe you, you know, choosing to have the cookie is not the right thing for you, but don't have the cookie and then beat yourself up about it. Right. That, that, you know, like, so I, I feel like guilt it's, it's, you know, going to probably come in waves and, you know, on the one hand, I I do think we want to make choices that can help with longevity, that can help us, you know, our immune system and that we do want to, I mean, food is powerful medicine, right? So we do want to eat in a way, but that doesn't mean that there isn't room for all food on the table, you know, but just knowing like, like some food nourishes your body and some food might nourish your heart. Like, you know, a lot of people feel really satisfied when they eat a meal that reminds them of their grandmother or you know someone who cooked it for them and that's nourishment you know so I think recognizing your why and and what sort of hunger it's fulfilling is huge but my advice is on guilt is like either you give yourself permission and enjoy it or then afterwards without judgment you look at why because sometimes like when we grab the cookie and we don't really and we know that it's not gonna nourish our heart or our body. It could just be because you your blood sugar was so low and our bodies are so wise and they're like, give me the fast energy, you know, to pick up the blood sugar. We've all been there where like you, you know, you don't sleep enough or you're you don't eat in the right rhythm. And the quick, fast acting carbs are going to be what your body's gonna want first because it'll give you instant, you know, energy to to go through your day.
0: No, that's a good point. I think it sometimes I think it has to do with boredom, right? Like you and I've yeah. talked about this before with my husband. You know, sometimes he's like, I'm hungry. And I'm like, are you, I mean, are you really hungry? Like, have a glass of water, have a cup of tea. Like, why don't you see how hungry you really are? Because I think sometimes he's just bored. Like he just wants something to do, and eating will satiate whatever that boredom is.
1: Mm-hmm. Um
0: and I think that there's a lot of that for people. You know, I mean, we're we're surrounded by visual images of food. It's everywhere. Our social media has ticked it up greatly. And, you know, so not only are we surrounded by all these, like, ways to eat healthy and be healthy, we're also surrounded, and I mean, it's in my field especially, about all these ridiculously delicious things uh, that you need to eat and you need to try, you need to go and you need to have and have you had it. So it's a lot of levels of you know, there's two sides to that, but I want to kind of talk about, you have recipes and rituals in your book, which I love. So, and I like the way you sort of created the recipes, happy, focused, radiant, like all these sort of adjectives to explain how we feel. So how'd you come up with the recipes and, and sort of put them in the
1: different categories? Mm, I love that you're asking about that because um, the reason I decided to do the, the moods, there are seven different moods in the book
0: mm-hmm. is
1: because, and and this is how I also like to work with people is because I, so many of us have tried everything, you know, mm-hmm. we've, we've done it all. And I wanted just to give a different approach and flip the script a little bit in, instead of thinking, what is food going to do to me mm-hmm. to think what can do, food do for me? So, you know, you can eat these mood boosting you can learn which foods support different moods and eat in this empowering way so that right. was the decision behind it and it's you don't have to memorize you know, I always say like once upon a time, we didn't know what a carbohydrate protein or fat was like, so you will just start to know that certain foods like might be higher in magnesium and can have a calming effect on, you know, on you and your nervous system. Like
0: understand the ingredients, know what, like I see there's a lot of turmeric in your recipes. (laughs) You have that great chocolate bark in there that, you know, sounds terrific, you know, like with the raspberries in it and everything and you, everything you have in here, like you explain the ingredients. And I do think that's important because we do have the knowledge now about what some of these ingredients can do for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just, it's also fun. I think, you know, like you mentioned the boredom. So this would put a little bit of of interest back into making choices, you know, like, oh, well, you know, I want to feel comforted, or I want to feel calm, or, you know, it's the weekend, I want to feel sensual, you know, and there's just, there's an explanation of which ingredients can support those feelings. Um, So that, that is where it came from. And, I love, even if you don't want to eat that, I love the recipes in the book. Um, oh, I
0: love um, the recipes in the book. They're very appealing. And I mean, you know, I get a thousand cookbooks. So, you know, I, and I get pitched on a thousand cookbooks. And a lot of times I'm kind of like, I mean, what is this cook bringing to the table that I haven't seen a thousand times? And the reason why, I mean, first of all, I, I love what you wrote about in the book, more importantly. But what I love about the recipes in your book is, again, A, how you categorize them, but B, really explaining why these ingredients make you feel radiant or give you comfort. Like you, you took, you really put the psychology in the food, which I know is the whole point of your book. Um, But you, you really executed it really well. So it's just great. Um, Elise, so how do people get in touch with you? How do they follow your podcast, follow you on Instagram? And, and do you take clients
1: on? How does this all work? Okay. So, um. I have a podcast, Once Upon a Food Story, and I'm officially inviting you, Nikki, to be on it. So oh, I love that. Follow up because it'll be a great conversation about your food story and some of the incidences you've shared already. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my website is my name, elisemuselis.com. And mm-hmm. I have, speaking of all food and mood, I actually have a food mood pantry guide. So it has a list. It's different than the book. And so I can send you that link to share in the show notes if you want. I will. I'm on social media. Instagram tends to be the place I show up most. It's just my name, Elise Musellus. And am I missing anything? No, I think we got it. But let's spell Museles so people know how to spell it. M-U-S-E-L-E-S. So my first name is Elise, E-L-I-S-E. Excellent. And then um, also, you know, we'll give you the, the food mood pantry guide link so people can do that and then the book is sold wherever books are sold if your local bookstore doesn't have it you can always ask but it's on all the big online retailers
0: excellent thank you so much uh for joining me today discussing our food story is really important and I was thrilled to share a little bit of mine with you but I look forward to sharing more with you uh on your show which will be great
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and for sharing all these stories and also making food so like celebratory and fun. That's a huge part of the nutrition equation. So I love what you do and what you're doing. And I can't wait to talk more. Great. Thanks.
0: Well, wasn't that a great interview? Elise Micellis really is in touch with her own food story and interested in learning about your food story. And do you know, your food story, take some time to think about it because how we eat is so important to how we enjoy our lives. So I wanna thank Elise for joining me today and check out her book, Food Story, Rewrite the Way You Eat, Think and Live. And thank you for joining me, Nikki Nellis, on Industry Night. Don't forget to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Of course, you can listen to Foodie and the Beast every Sunday at 11 a.m. on 1500 a.m. and to stay in touch with everything happening in the D.C. food, wine, and dining scene, the list thelistareyouonit.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. We'll see you next week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun D.C.